Hi, and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, David Bentham, Director of Sales Development at Cognizant. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed, and we'll be unpacking why these trends are important for Outbound. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Redefining Outbound. Um, today, I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Richard Smith, um, VP of Sales Amir, at Elego. Um, Richard, thanks so much for joining us. And um, yeah, would you like to kind of give a little introduction, um, any any context before we dive in? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Um, so yeah, that really kind of summarizes uh, summarizes things nicely. So I've been a uh, uh, VP of Sales for Amir uh, for, for Lego for um, sort of two years now. Uh, previously, uh, co-founded a company called Refract, um, and you know, kind of my sales career, I guess, spans um, probably not going on about fifteen years now. Overall, uh, starting life as a as an SDR, and um, yeah, kind of, I guess, progressing through the ranks, so to speak. To, to what I do today, which is uh yeah kind of responsible for a for a team of um AEs, SDRs and 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 a partnership uh manager here in uh here in the UK. Fantastic. Fantastic. And actually it's it's um I'm so glad to hear like kind of you started your journey as an SDR. Um one of the major themes or the major theme of this podcast is kind of um how I suppose SDRing sales outbound has changed um, over the years, um, how it's constantly being redefined. Um, and we always start every single podcast by simply asking the question, like, what does redefining outbound mean to you? So I think with that insight, I uh, would love to hear, hear your views on that. Yeah, it's, I looked at this question um, before the podcast and I was really kind of made me think a lot about like what my answer should be on this. I, I think I come at it from a, few different thoughts i think first of all outbound today feels harder than it's ever felt before in my career um certainly i think why is that i think um expectations from prospects has gone up i think getting the attention of prospects is becoming harder than ever i think where we have more digital noise than ever before um post pandemic where in so many industries, um, so many people are, you know, working from home, which people think, hey, that's actually easier to get people's attention. Well, actually, what it's resulted in is people spend their lives on back-to-back Zoom or Teams meetings. And so it's 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 just it's just harder to get people's attention these days. Um, and what what is different about outbound today than when I started life doing it is Ah, there's huge, huge changes. Certainly, there's there's so much more tools and um, information out there about um, about our prospects. So you know, we there's 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 things that STRs and people who are doing outbound have uh, to their advantage, but they need to have those things, I think, to be um, to be successful in uh, uh, doing the role today, uh, because inherently prospects are just far far more um i guess just uh engaged with other things um and they're just busier people and um they've had so much noise chucked at them over the years 
um, through people doing outbound that they're starting to tune a lot of it out. So yeah, that's kind of, I guess, redefining outbound. I'm not sure if that really answers the question, but I think kind of summarizes my thoughts on where it is today versus where it was, say, you know, 15 years ago. Awesome. Um, I think, so this, the next question comes from a completely selfish uh, standpoint. Um, I, um, and this isn't a self plug, but I, I recently moved into a VP role. Um, and I'm really, um, I suppose, as a VP yourself, I would love just to kind of get any advice for kind of moving into that role. And, f- and for any VPs that might be listening, kind of like, what have you learned about the role and, and, and um, any best practices for, for undertaking it? Yeah, um, uh, I've learned lots. I feel like there's still so much more to learn um, doing this role. Um, and I think the one thing I've learned is that people see you know, the title VP and think that, you know, it's kind of a flashy, um, super elevated role. And whilst in small parts that might be true, <laughs> um, what I think people see um, where I spend a lot of my time is actually pr- protecting a lot of the stuff from my protecting my team from getting there, uh, getting um, in the way of all the stuff that a lot of people, quite frankly, wouldn't enjoy doing. You know, it's a lot of the the political side of um, managing up and sideways with fellow senior leaders, not always agreeing on those things, um, trying to fight, fight the fight the cause for your team, um, trying to uh, do a lot of the that admin and simplifying things to make it easy for your team to make, you know, so that they don't spend time trying to figure it out themselves. It's, um, and so I think my advice is that, um, you have to embrace those things to do this role. Um, if you can't embrace them and if you feel like, Hey, that, that doesn't sound like it's kind of what I want to be doing, then it may not be the right thing, um, which is fine. Um, but I think I learned that, Hey, my role now is, far less about um selling so to speak or even helping my team sell it is more about um giving them the protection so to speak and the environment um and the simplification to enable them to be more um to 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 do their job well and and get all those barriers and roadblocks out the way um and uh so yeah that's kind of one thing i've learned is that you have to embrace that to do this role um and uh, i think for a lot of people especially people in like a sales management role they they enjoy being in the trenches with their team and co-selling and that stuff is great i, I still love doing that stuff um but actually far more of my time is spent you know I, I describe it as putting almost like a protective shield around them um to avoid them getting distracted yeah my what my ex boss actually used to describe it as being the umbrella for right. um <laughs> and the filter all at the same time um Awesome. And and one of the challenges I think that sales leaders are facing um, is also knowing like everything that's going on um, at all times, especially in terms of like deals, like, yeah. uh, like pipeline, uh, et cetera. And just, yeah, obviously we, there's not enough time in the day and we don't have a gazillion different eyes. Um, so do you have any advice for sales leaders on um, how you're kind of keeping a, a, a like, keeping close to the pulse at all times 
yeah so my first my first piece of advice is don't just be this person who relies on what your sellers are telling you um why because one it's um a distraction and exhausting to constantly be asking your sellers what's the latest what's the latest give me the update um and secondly it's you're always going to get that filtered view that filtered description of what happened on the latest call or you know what the how that demo went or whatever that that last interaction was with the prospect because as salespeople, one we want to typically put a positive spin on things to uh our superiors um but secondly and this is what i think is a more pertinent point to make is that salespeople don't know what they don't know and what i mean by that is you know when i listen back to sales calls um and identify things that they didn't identify themselves on the call they weren't aware something was quite critical was mentioned they misinterpreted something that a prospect said um and all of those things are very very crucial to to try and get to the the truth and the the honesty of of a deal um so so my advice is don't just don't just take your seller's word and be this person who constantly harangues the team for the latest the late the latest updates um and uh you know i obviously i i kind of preach that as someone as a as a big believer in the world of conversation intelligence you know one of the you know refract was really to my knowledge the first uk conversation intelligence sales platform that that that, that came to market and um i so i'm, I'm a kind of i drink the kool-aid in, in in that regard um but you know i, I see the value of this technology of, of helping me kept being kept abreast of deals without having to um harass my my team because i can get alerted to things that have happened on their their latest call i can hear where you know a deal that they're working and suddenly a competitor's name gets dropped in by the prospect at the final stages of a deal and that's stuff that i want to react to and help them you know react to it as well but i you know i don't want to have to just rely on them to tell me that stuff so um yeah i think this is this is what this is the future this is this is what companies if they're not already doing this and using this technology need to be doing um if they want to get closer to what's actually going on in the field awesome awesome and and speaking of a lego and uh, like obviously it's in that um and refract it's it's in that sales enablement space um we're um i suppose we're kind of just teetering on the edge of really building out like a, a full sales enablement function to help uh, support our sale, like what we currently offer in terms of sales enablement to our team. Um, but as someone that's just been in this bracket for so long, uh, I was wondering whether you could kind of um, tell us about how you think or like any advice that you have for sales leaders on making sure that their sales enablement programs are scalable and repeatable, like any conversation yeah. or any, any, any tips or, like yeah. tactics to, to improve them. So the one thing I'd say is that um, what we see in sales today is who are the people that sales people, who are the people that sales people want to learn from the most? Those people are their peers. It's the people who are having the same conversations as they are, you know, having the same challenges as they are fighting the same fights as they are. They want to learn from those people. They want to learn from people who are, having more success than they are, right? They don't necessarily want to hear from, you know, 
being they don't they don't want to hear necessarily from sales leaders or even from sales alignment about how to do their job better. Their actual preference, our data shows that actually they prefer to, to, to they prefer to learn from the people who are actually you know um, doing the same the same job function as they are. So, in order to enrich your sales enablement program, you need to consider how can you actually collate um, learning from your peers from the field. Um, you know, we call this um, agile content sharing or, or field generated insights. And some examples of where we see this being really effective is um, at a Lego we get after every deal that we win or lose, the seller records a three minute video giving their win report or their loss report. They explain, you know, why they believe they won the deal or why they believe they lost the deal and their top three learnings. And those little video clips are some of the most watched content of all the content that gets generated because everybody wants to hear from their peers. They don't want to, they, they want to, they want to learn stuff. They want to learn from the mistakes of people who are doing the same role as each other. And that, 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 that also expands out to, um, you know, sharing um, the good, the bad and the ugly um, sales calls. It even um, goes down to people. We had this initiative earlier this year called Amplify Success. And what it consisted of was encouraging every seller to record a quick three-minute tips and tricks video, something that's working really well for them. It could be to something to do with cold calling. It could be something to do with productivity. It could be something to do with how they differentiate against the competition. It could be how they demo a certain part of our product. Um, and again, this content was the most consumed content. It was like the, the engagement rates in that content was humongous. Um, much more than when marketing creates a you know new battle card and pushes it to the sales team, that content actually got looked gets looked at far less than the content that's generated by the sales team. So to answer your question, if you want to make uh, if you want to enrich your sales enablement program, if you want to make it engaging um, to the point that this content becomes evergreen, that new sales salespeople into the business can learn from this content, you need to get the sales team to create the content. That's awesome. And actually, it's kind of topical because um, I feel very similarly and, and we've been asked or so what we've started doing is, is bringing some of our more senior um, SDRs into like, and uh, well, into the fold in terms of like delivering training, um, right. like some of our weekly training sessions. Um, one of the challenges that we face with that, that's kind of, and again, this is really selfish, and uh, but just very topical right now for me, is that they obviously don't know how to train. Um, yeah necessarily and so they're creating great content um but they're not you know necessarily the best deliverers of that that content or is a real mixed bag i don't really want to invest a ton of time into training them how to train i don't think like yeah. you might challenge me on that one but um yeah so like how are you i suppose i'm interested in like how you're striking that balance um as well yeah it's it's a it's a good question because um you know I, I I agree with the stance that you don't want to you want to you want to train people how to train or how to coach the people who want to become managers because that becomes a fundamental part of their role, and so there's no part there's no point teaching some of those skills if they have no aspiration to to move in that direction in their career. Um. So what the way I would look at it is you can get those guys to generate the content, but actually it could be on the sales leaders or the sales enablement teams to take that content. And to be the ones to almost kind of like explain the context around it or to, to um put that in the relevant place in a 
um, sales enablement program or to take the top five um, insights that was generated by the top performing salesperson and to use those insights to, to create the actual training content. So I think sales enablement, a big part of their role is taking content from all these different sources, but then being able to put it together in a format and deliver it in a format which makes sense to the to 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 the to the team. Um, uh, sales enablement shouldn't just be the ones to to generate the content ideas. A lot of the time, they don't have all the answers. In fact, because some of them haven't been doing the role for a long time. Um, uh, but yeah, they 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 are they should be the experts in taking this content and putting it into a a, a format that makes it easy to learn. Mm, you just uh, I, I kind of. I've had a light bulb moment just then of like maybe the reformatting is actually taking getting my SDR um, my SDR managers to almost do like an in like an interview style way of training right um to, totally. to help control it yeah really interesting um so uh, and final uh, finally on on sales enablement I think like we we talk a lot on on this podcast about how um the buyer is is gaining more and more power um over time and and how like certainly the way that we sell has to be so much more buyer centric today yeah um just wanted to know like from your perspective how um sales enablement is adapting so that it can facilitate this buyer centric um uh, model that is is ultimately becoming the norm ah uh, this is this is massive it's just one of the biggest shifts i'm seeing in sales in general where this whole movement towards um buyer enabled selling and why is that is because buying behaviors are intrinsically changing you know we got data that shows that sadly for our uh for salespeople out there more and more prospects are wanting to do more of the buying journey on their terms they're wanting to do the digital self-serve model where possible in other words they're telling us ideally i'd like to i'd like to buy this without having to speak with a salesperson um which is you know it's it's potentially concerning news for um the likes of anyone listening to this podcast even myself so we have to um what what does that mean well it means that um the ineffective and bad salespeople are most at risk and the but the people who will shine at the top are the people who can provide a differentiated experience um and you know offer more value to the to the prospect in the buying journey and um one of the exciting things that I think that I'm seeing um, in the market, and this is a key part of the Lego platform, and I'm kind of seeing this myself as someone who uses these things and that, that my team use these things is the the whole concept of digital sales rooms or, yeah, you don't have to call them that. You could call them a, 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 a shared space um, because this kind of addresses this, you know, buyer-centric um, model where I can create a personalized space for my prospect um, or I can offer it, I, I can drop in a, a personalized video I've, I've recorded for them. I can be very selective about which pieces of content I want to share with the prospect. That sales room can evolve as the, the bar, sales cycle or buying cycle um, progresses. Um, I make it easy for prospects to get access to the information, the content when they want. They don't have to email me asking for the latest update of the, uh, of the proposal or can you send me x security doc that you sent me two months ago that's gone missing in the inbox um it's a collaborative space that everyone on the buying side can access and this is this is kind of i think uh, the future we're seeing 
um, a lot of excitement about these in the in the market. A lot of people using them into it's not just providing great experiences for the buyers. It's actually giving the sales people a lot of intelligence too on what prospects are engaging with, what they're interested in. Um, but yeah, I do I do feel that in general, this whole shift away from, you know, this is our this is our sales methodology, this is our sales process. You know, you have to stick to that. Sorry, but that's it's it's not it's not working that way anymore because buyers will say, actually, I want to buy on my own terms. And as salespeople, we have to find that careful balance of trying to remain in control of the sales cycle, but essentially trying to adapt to what our buyers are telling us how they want to buy. Because if we if we don't align to that, all you all we're going to be met with is pissed off prospects, and a pissed off prospect doesn't buy. Makes total sense. Um, and we spoke earlier about kind of sales leaders not having a million eyes and being able to look at everything. But one way that traditionally um, sales leaders or all leaders are, are keeping tabs of how things are progressing is through reporting and dashboards and metrics. Um, is there any metrics that you could, you know, you suggest uh, that you could suggest in terms of um, tracking this biocentric um, uh, selling? Yeah, I think what I what I start by saying is that i think sometimes some companies and some sales teams can be over metric you know they they track everything and they make decisions based on metrics when i think that's not that data is very important um you've got to follow the data but you can't just make decisions on metrics in my opinion because in sales um Sales is one of those uh, professions where you can do everything right, but ultimately you can't make someone buy. You know, there's a lot of a lot of there is there is always an element of stuff that is out of your control as a seller. Much to maybe the uh, um, the uh, much to against what a lot of sales trainers out there listen to this say. No, no, if you. You know, it's all it's all on you. If if uh, if a if a prospect doesn't buy, that's your fault. I just don't I just don't subscribe to that. Um, um, but the the question was, what kind of metrics to measure um a buyer centric journey? Um, so some of the things I will look at is um not necessarily metrics, but I want to make sure that the the conversations that we're having with prospects is um is about understanding um what's important for the buyer and understanding how they like to buy and and that's not, not that's not necessarily a metric but it's something that I will look to identify in when I listen to, to sales calls um but again the other side of it is looking at the digital sales rooms that I mentioned that we're sending out is like how much engagement are we getting in those digital sales rooms um what a prospect what content are prospects um, engaging with the most what are they what, do we have some content that we can prove that a lot of prospects enjoy looking at and so how can we create more content like that how can our marketing teams for example create more content like that because that's being proven that our our audience enjoys consuming that content so that's the kind of thing that i'd be i'd be looking at as far as measuring um buyer uh, a buyer centric um buying journey fantastic fantastic um and richard you are an author You've written a book. 
Is yes. that right? Are you an author? Are you classing yourself as an author at this point, or I, I guess I, I guess by the rules of the book, I am for the writing a book. But it, it does still feel weird, weird to yeah feel like I'm I'm not necessarily a professional author if there is such a thing as one. Um, <laughs> but yes. Well, well, look. It um the book's called Problem Prospecting, um, and it's you know it's I'd highly recommend it to everybody. It's a fantastic, fantastic book um for anybody that wants a, a deeper dive on on all things prospecting, um. Can you just tell us a little bit about um, about the ideas around that book um, yeah. and specifically uh, problem prospecting and, and why you think it's such an uh, important consideration for sales leaders today? Yeah, well, when I think about when I started life as an SDR and um, the way I used to prospect was um, almost the opposite of problem prospecting. It was, um, you know, I'd make a cool call and say, hi, David, I'm Rich. Uh, I'm calling from this company, what we have is this platform and what it does is this. And these are the benefits of this platform. And that's kind of like the way I prospected. Everything was really about um, describing what my company did, what my product did and the, you know, the, 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 the benefits of, of my product. Um, and you know what? I had success. I was a successful SDR, but I had to like um, one. I I had to steam train my way through through my days. You know, I, I did a lot of activity to to get the numbers on the board. Um, and secondly, because things have changed so much, that out you know outbound is getting is getting harder. Um, and prospects just don't care about hearing from people who tell them everything about everything great that their product does it's this just they just simply don't care they, they'll they'll just they'll just tune out and um problem prospecting is going to the other end of the spectrum is you know really focusing very heavily on the problems that your product solves the pro the, the for the, 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 the problems that your audience are suffering from um and trying to find people who warm to those problems. Um, and a lot of it as well is about um, trying to really use the language that your prospects would use when they sit down at the end of a day, they've shut the laptop, they've had a, they're really pissed off with something and they go to their wife, girlfriend, husband, partner, best friend. And they, when they open their mouth and whinge about their day, um, it's kind of like that's that's how they describe their problems and it's trying to encapsulate all those things and use that as the method to, to prospect so problem prospecting is is leading with um, the problems that our prospects face in language that they would use to describe their problems when they're moaning over the dinner table um, and taking that I guess methodology if you like and making it easy to um applying that to different methods and channels of prospecting whether it's cold calling emailing video linkedin voice notes um and and problem prospecting is really i, I describe it as like a, a a mini handbook where every chapter almost gives you the the scripts the tactics the the, the how-to so to speak in applying that in these different channels versus the a lot of sales books which are kind of very non-relatable they're aspirational stories of you know how i made you know a million pounds in sales and you know my you know from sdr to vp of sales like you know that they 
that, that there's there's a place for those books. I've I've read plenty of them. I've enjoyed reading some of them. But a lot of a lot of salespeople out there just want to know. Okay, tell me how to do this stuff. Um, and that's that's what that's what we did when we decided to write problem prospecting. Perfect. Um, one when I was reading through the book, the um one of the um chapters was on building a LinkedIn brand. And yeah, um, I actually, you know, I think nowadays, especially because of how often salespeople are on LinkedIn, utilizing LinkedIn as a as an outreach method, um, you're constantly getting plugged this like, you know, build a brand, build a brand, build a brand. Mm. I asked a very similar question to Will from um, Lavender, who was um, one of uh, on, on a, an episode a, a couple of episodes ago. But I'm really interested to get your take on, you know, do you think that sales reps should be building uh, LinkedIn brands? Um, and what do you see as like the, you know, like the, the yeah, like how important is it? And what 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 have you seen from your experience of the positives of doing it? So I I'd love to. I'd love to also get your thoughts and opinion on this too, um, Dave, because I think this is an interesting topic. And um, <laughs> I feel like my uh, response to this question probably changes month to month um, in, 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 some, in some respects. Um, like, do I think every salesperson needs to do it? Um, no, because there'll be lots of salespeople out there who are being very successful right now, who are making a lot of money, who are succeeding without building a LinkedIn brand. There will be many of them out there. So it would be wrong of me to say everybody needs to do this because there's some people who say, you know what, I'm I'm getting the success and the achievement that is giving me fulfillment in life. And I'm not, I'm not doing that. So by that very nature, no, not everybody should have to do it. Um, do I believe that building a LinkedIn brand is advantageous? Yes, I do. And I'll, and I'll explain why. And, and, you know, this is a decision that I made four years ago. I kind of decided one day, right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to create content and I'm going to try and do this every single day, Monday to Friday, when I'm not on holiday, where possible. Um, and I'm not going to give up doing it. And I think a lot of people, they try and give it a go. They do, you know, a couple of posts a week and they see they've got low engagement and lo and behold, they kind of say, oh, it's no point doing this anymore. And I was, I, I, I was one of those people who, you know, the first few posts I, I I've got, I, I subscribe to this product, which gives me insights and in all the LinkedIn posts I've ever done over the years. And I look back on the early ones and I, yeah, I get two likes and, you know, hundred people viewed this and I, it could be very easy for me at that, at that stage to have got disheartened, but I kept on doing it. And it's like anything in sales cons or in, in life, really consistency usually brings you good results. Um, and so for me, it was one of the best decisions I've made because it's helped me um, achieve so much. In fact, I'd go as far as saying as highly unlikely that I'd be on this podcast right now if it wasn't for me doing uh, making that decision uh, a few years ago. But it's helped me. Um, it's helped me build connections. It's helped me uh, get on stage to speak at events. It's helped me get on podcasts. It's helped me generate inbound leads for me and my sales team. It's helped. Um, open up conversations with people who've came and gone on to work for myself and the team. There's been so many benefits to it um, that I could, that I could speak to. Um, and I think for any salesperson out there, if you hear me saying those things and say, Hey, that's, that actually sounds like that would be really, that would be, that could be useful for me personally. And then I, I, I encourage you to, 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 to do the same thing. And 
even to the extent of as a sales leader, when I'm hiring salespeople, I don't look at CVs anymore. You know, I get a CV. The first thing I look at is the name of the person. And what are the first thing I do is I go on LinkedIn and I look at that person. And if I know I'm not the only sales leader doing that. Um, and so if you, you need, I want to see that, you know, if, if you're, if you're putting yourself out there as someone who um, is leveraging LinkedIn and social to your advantage, then that is an attractive proposition for me personally. Um, so yeah, that kind of long-winded answer. Um, but that's just, you know, personally speaking, I think that, um, uh, it, it is only an advantageous thing for you to be doing it. There's more pros than cons, but I'd love to hear your, uh, your thoughts on the topic too. Yeah, no, I, I agree like with everything you said, I, I think the considerations you have to make are number one, I, I, I you know, unless you've got a hundred thousand followers, which is going to take you a long, long time to get, I don't think you can hit all of your sales targets, SDR targets with like a, a LinkedIn brand, um, despite what some people have said. Um, I think it can be a good way of subsidizing, uh, but you have to remember that. And and you're always, for me, like, you know, I run an SDR team. Um, the, the fastest and best way of getting to our prospects is not like building the brand. It's, it's you know, calling people up, right you know outbound selling um and for that reason i think and and i'm copying will a little bit on his response i think if if you're struggling in like to get to your role i think you're building a brand is not the solution for that it's a it it could be like a, a distraction mm-hmm. um and then the other consideration is also like who you're or what objective you're trying to get from uh, building a brand i think you mentioned some really fantastic ones having a community networking um being invited to speak at events um right you know i've um it could be you know maybe a, a bit if, if you can build enough of a brand enough of a reputation um you might get invited to do consultancy for certain companies yeah. um you know like get kind of like side gigs or uh, you know and eventually you could be a um someone like a Morgan Ingram who kind of a lot of I I I don't know what he gets paid or what he gets paid on but I imagine that like a large part of his personal income is actually just appearances um and and all on the back of his uh brands that he's built um mm-hmm. on LinkedIn um so um so yeah so it depends on those objectives and like and so if your objectives is meetings um or or sales um then you know like firstly do you target people that use linkedin um a lot we both uh, both of us have exactly the same icp uh, or similar icps you know we're selling to salespeople, so it makes sense in that respect um but also um yeah like i mentioned at the start like i don't think it's it's going to be very very difficult to you, for you to always reach your target and the danger is it, it's a distraction um but i'm also a big believer of do things that you're passionate about and if you're passionate about kind of you know putting yourself out there and educating people and building community and networking and you know it like i think it could be a, f- a fantastic tool and i you know i agree with you the the first it, the slog is at the start where you don't get the the, the the engagement you need um but you've just got to stick with it um because um you know as long as you're putting quality content out there um consistently then then eventually you're gonna you're gonna start uh, reaping the rewards yeah and what i would add on to that that i think it can um this is not necessarily the, the same for every single salesperson but i see it can actually add more um uh 
wait to, you know, that the prospects that you speak to, if they become interested in you on LinkedIn, you know, I had a call yesterday um, with a deal that we're working in. The guy said, oh, my, um, my CRO is actually shares your stuff in our company Slack channel every day. And I'm, I'm trying to get in front of this CRO. <laughs> um, but the very fact that I know that, you know, he's, uh, he's, he finds me interesting, I think is a, is a, is a useful, uh, is a useful thing, especially in competitive deals, or you're trying to get the attention of senior people in, 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 uh, uh, in the deals that you're working. But again, that's, you know, if, if your audience on, on LinkedIn, then I would, I would, um, and if that's your objective, then it's, it's probably not a, a sensible strategy. Awesome. Um, Rich, I think we could speak for hours, um, to be honest with you, but unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. Um, thank you so much for coming um, on the podcast. Do you, um, where can people find you? And is there anything, uh, you, you mentioned the, like, where can people find the problem prospecting book? Is there any, any resources there as well? Yeah, so um, find me on LinkedIn, uh, if you want to connect with me. Um, problem prospecting, the book is um, available on Amazon, just search for problem prospecting. Um, and we've also just recently launched a, an online program, problem prospecting program about um, a couple of months ago, uh, which is, as it stands, three courses in the program. Um, we have a, a first course, which is all about helping people kind of redefine their um, problem prospecting um, script and positioning, if you like, um, understanding how to how to understand the problems that your prospects face. And then we have a, a cold calling course and an email course. Uh, the three of them can be purchased individually or the three can be purchased as an entire um, collection as a program. Um, but yeah, if you want to look into kind of, if you enjoyed the book and you're looking to kind of get into the into the, the weeds a little bit more, then yeah, definitely worth checking that out. Um, and so just, uh, yeah, if you um, connect me on LinkedIn, I'll be happy to to share the link to that. Awesome. Thank you so much again. And um, yeah, thanks for all the listeners that tuned in um, uh, to this episode and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks. Cheers.